Exercise doesn't have to be painful. Your diet doesn't need to be bland and boring. It's time to have less pain and move more and learn how to be better to yourself. Welcome to Pain-Free Day with your host, Joshua Cohen. In this program, you'll learn the pain-free way to eat, the pain-free way to exercise, and the pain-free way to live a better life. Now, here's Joshua Cohen. All right, welcome back to Pain-Free Day. I'm Dr. Josh Cohen. I'm here with Nate Pantaloni. Um, he is with Dobra T. Pittsburgh. And uh, we're going to talk about tea today. We're going to find out some good health benefits to tea, why you should drink tea. Is tea better for you than coffee? You know, what can tea do for you? Tea's been around for centuries. You know, I want to say my research, I was saying it's been around for literally like, you know, since the, um, what's it, 2000 BC, you know, somewhere around there. I've seen like some of the first, you know, recordings of tea. It's pretty fascinating. So, Nate, how did you get into tea? You know, what, what brought you into it? That's a bit of a long story. I hope you'll permit me. The yeah. time when I was in college, I started drinking tea because of a friend of mine. He had grown up in a household that had been focused more on tea than, say, coffee. His mother was really into different types of teas, and so he was. My my family's more into coffee. Uh, my mother and father are both physicians, and they really are all about coffee. Okay, that's my grandfather was a physician as well, and he was all about coffee. And he his, his saying that I remember from when I was little was no unadulterated coffee on an empty stomach. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's I'd say that about tea too. So that's a good that's a, a good uh, uh, mantra to live by. So we started going out for tea to study, and he knew more than I did, so we took his recommendation on where to go. Studying turned into just gossiping and things like that, so we didn't really get anything done after we got caffeinated, but we really <laughs> liked we really liked the tea that we had, and it was a, it was a Darjeeling, I don't know what type, but for me, it was like an um, eye-opening experience that I had never had tea that tasted like that. My previous experience had been teabag black tea or Lipton. Sure. Yeah, you know, the that traditional type of stuff that you see in a grocery store. Exactly, exactly. And I'm sure a lot of people have that same experience. They make iced tea at home or that type of thing. Well, that that like blew my mind. And I was like, yo, we have to go back there. This is great. This is, I, I love this stuff. So we started making it a regular thing. We started just gossiping and not really studying, even though we'd bring our books. And it, finally we said, let's not even try to study. We're going to make this like just hangout time we'll talk about what's going on and we found a different cafe or different tea room excuse me that had really high quality teas and we fell in love with one of the teas there and so we started making that our regular routine a few years into college later we were being more frugal trying to spend less money on tea and we decided that we would start a blog because if you blog about tea people send it to you for free <laughs> Fair enough. So, it was that was a pretty that was a pretty great way to go about tasting a lot of different teas, and we started writing about them, and we developed a palette, I guess you could say, and we knew which teas we liked and we didn't like, and it always came back to this local tea room had stuff better than everything we tried, no matter what it was, Darjeeling, Longjing, whatever green tea or Puar tea or something. The stuff at this local tea room was just better. And we were a bit surprised and pleasantly surprised. But then we'd have to go spend money that we didn't want to do and buy the tea from them. And that kind of 
stuck with us. After college, we kept the blog going. We made it more of a podcast because we were we lived far apart and we wanted to make it a, a vocal thing. And that worked out pretty well. We never had a huge following, but it was it was a, a, a big enough for us. And one day, we're both like upset with our careers and talking and um, I said to him, I was like, hey, let's start a tea room. Uh, like that one in, in Madison and and because we know about good tea, we know what good tea tastes like. We could talk to them, see if we could get in on their supply or whatever. And he agreed. We decided we were going to do it. And then he got a promotion, a raise and like transferred <laughs> and was like much happier with his with his new job and bailed. So I decided to just continue that and that's very cool. So we have we have a tea room now, and uh, yeah, everything's. I mean, there was a lot from from that point to the tea room opening, but sure. Cut now, that short. So now, um, and you were saying as well, you have a background in chemical engineering. Yes. That, and so, did that help you with tea and kind of see? Because I mean, there's a lot of different like chemical properties to it. You know, different antioxidants, different things like that that we'll get into a little bit. But I was just curious if that kind of helped you. You know, you know, help with your perception of tea. Uh, understanding the chemistry of things does help with understanding perception of tea but it it's it's more of the like i that background helped me understand that there are certain chemicals and to not be afraid of them necessarily either that that do have different influences on your body and you see that in all types of cooking and cooking in a lot of ways is chemistry making tea has a lot of chemistry involved in it yeah infusion or diffusion depending on how you want to call it you have a you have a solvent in the water. You extract water soluble compounds from the tea. If you brew it with milk, you extract some lipid soluble compounds. And so, oh, that's cool. And so there's different chemistry with tea, basically. But I wouldn't say my chemical engineering background got me specifically into tea. It just helped with understanding it. That makes sense. So. That makes a lot of sense. And that's, I have a slight background in chemistry, and that helps out as well with, like, with going through biochemistry, seeing how different things affect our bodies. You know, and actually, that was one of the things that I really liked about tea, um, just reading about and hearing about all the different positive benefits to us, you know, um, you know from the antioxidants, polyphenols catechins, I think they're yeah, pronounced. Yeah. yeah, you know, different things like that. But then I was reading as well, you know, along those lines that, you know, and I, I like coffee, but I kind of think that, you know, it's like, I, I personally think tea is better for you than coffee. More that I've read about, I think tea is much, there's a lot more health benefits to coffee, health benefits to tea versus coffee. Mm -hmm. And then I was reading, it was six months or a year ago, an article came out though saying like, co coffee is toxic there is some type of chemical in there that is cancerous that they were able to kind of pinpoint and i was like oh, okay that that makes sense you know and so it's like in my practice i try and keep you if i have somebody who's just drinking one or two cups of coffee a day i'm like oh that's fine but if you're drinking a pot a day that's a little much and that will start affecting your body in negative ways i would imagine and i don't know this for for sure but from what i've read about the chemistry of coffee and and other things like bread like uh breading and fried foods, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. I would imagine it's the roasting process that would create a carcinogenic compound in coffee. That makes sense. It could be how roasted a coffee is. might make it carcinogenic or not. That, that makes a lot of sense because then also it's like you look at it when you grill food, the actual act of grilling and charring the food is what brings the, what makes it, you know, carcinogenic, yeah. you know? So that makes a lot of sense. It also adds a lot of flavor. <laughs> That's, yeah. Do you want to eat boiled food or do you want to eat grilled food? It's, <laughs> right. 
Me personally, I'd be willing to risk the cancer and I'd go for some grilled food every now and then. But, you know, having it all the time might not be a good idea. And that's, that's what I really preach as well is that every once in a while all that stuff is fine, but you can't do it all the time, you know? And um, oh, so, so, you know, so let's get into, you know, some of the health benefits to tea, you know? Um, you know, I know there's a lot of different types. Would you like to kind of talk about that first? So the using sort of Chinese classifications, that's what we, we go by. There's about, there's about six major types of tea. All tea comes from the same plant, Camellia sinensis. True tea, I mean, comes from the same plant. There are herbal teas. They're tisane, different than true tea. And the leaves, depending on how they're processed and oxidized, sometimes even fermented, change the type of tea. So green tea is the least oxidized. I like to talk about it as a, a spectrum of oxidation, okay. sort of zero to 100. And then there's kind of beyond 100 where you get into the fermented regions. So and what exactly is oxidation, if you could just explain that just briefly? Sure. sure. So oxidation is a really common chemical process. And that's, it can be the reaction of oxygen, say, in the air with something. And, but, it's, but in chemistry, we define it as oxidation is loss of electrons. Okay. So it's a little bit more complicated, but it doesn't always have to be involving oxidation. You can have anaerobic oxidation, which means that it's oxidation without oxygen being present. And that's just because something is transferring electrons to something else. And okay. So it's, it's, uh, it's a little complicated to get into, but, um, but basically this, all this oxidation involves air and enzymes in the tea leaves. So when we start with something like green tea, it's gonna be closest to the plant okay. in terms of, of uh, color and everything like that. Um, and green tea is harvested and specifically heated very quickly after it's harvested to denature the enzymes within the tea bush that would facilitate oxidation, uh, internal oxidation of the cells of the tea, the tea leaves. Then you have something like oolong tea, which is kind of kneaded and rolled very gently, um, tossed with itself. The leaves are slightly bruised, and it's left to sit for sometimes several days to allow like a gentle oxidation process using those enzymes within the tea leaves and air. And the, it changes the flavor. What it causes is basically a polymerization reaction, which is um, polymerization is like plastic. In this way, it's not plastic. It's not actually plastic, but it's like how trees build cellulose, um, like wood. Um, that's a polymerization reaction. So the tea leaves are, are basically um, building these new compounds, which are tannins, out of smaller chemicals in the tea. Um, those being the polyphenols, like you were mentioning, the antioxidants. So those change, they combine with each other in this oxidation process, in this polymerization into tannins and oolongs you get just a little bit of that and so it changes the flavor from green tea um, because those chemicals combine with each other then you get to black tea which has a uh, fully oxidized and you get a lot of tannin flavor tannins are like in grapes in wine in black tea it's that kind of dry taste to yeah. it um, woody in a, in a lot of ways there's a lot of nuances with tannins. They're so complicated. Chemists just don't 
just don't they, there's not like one tannin there's so many the chemists kind of gave up that makes sense though because in a lot of these plants there's so many different literally thousands of compounds yeah. and it's very hard to figure out which exact one is giving you this benefit or this negative benefit you know and i mean really it's like trying to you know, almost pick up picking a needle out of a haystack you know to figure out which one is beneficial and you kind of look at it as like you know what they're saying now which i agree with is it's generally you know um a beneficial effect of all of the compounds acting together you know, in order to create a synergistic effect. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And um, and those do change as you as you change the type of tea and you change that oxidation. And then, kind of after black tea, um, there's a there's a Chinese type of tea called puar tea that is fermented and it's basically fully oxidized like black tea. And they almost compost the leaves. There's some specific, there's some types of yeast and other uh, microorganisms that grow in the leaves and it that further changes and develops the flavor by breaking down the tannins by working on other parts of the leaves and you get these really earthy flavors out of it no is that was that pronounced or is that spelled hang on because i think i have um what was it p-u-e-r-h that's one way to spell it there's, okay there's about three major ways p-u-r-e-h you sometimes see p-u hyphen e-r or P-U apostrophe E-R. Okay, because I mean, because they, they were saying, I mean, this stuff is great. It's like has a strong digestive antibacterial and warming properties. They this this article claims that it cleanses the bloodstream of fat and toxins from meat and fatty foods. You know, which is pretty interesting if it can help reduce cholesterol and plaque of the arteries. You know, you see that claim a lot in in Chinese medicine for okay. sure. Um, I don't know how much evidence it has based behind it, mm -hmm. but I would I would be intrigued to. To read up on that you know and in my practice along those lines you know it's like i kind of look at it as if something has been around for thousands of years there has to be something to it you know i have an acupuncturist that works at my practice because the acupuncture goes along very well with the muscle work that i do and it's like you know there has to be something to acupuncture you know they've been doing it for thousands of years people have been benefiting from it you know so i kind of figure you know it's like with chinese medicine whether there's a lot to back it up or not can be you know generally it's worth investigating a little bit just to see if there's something to it because you know people have been doing it for thousands of years it has to be something to it Definitely. you know and i really i think too that that we there's been it's been demonstrated recently that a lot of fermented foods are really healthy to have correct yeah and i'm not i can't give you a general reason why but but yogurt's good and things like that like I can tell you why. It's because of all the probiotics. You know, it's like the more fermented it is, the more probiotics and good bacteria it'll have. And so that goes into your gut and kind of populates it for a bit. But what they're saying is that it's like once you eat something like that, the bacteria is only in your gut for a day or two and you have to eat something again to keep it going. You know, you have a natural amount of bacteria in there. But, you know, from what from um, what we're saying with the tea, you know, the tea should help out with that as well, especially the for more fermented ones. And actually, it's funny because reading through this, I was seeing that, and you know, doing some research, I was seeing that tea is recommended for aiding in um, digestion, you know, as well, or certain types of teas. Definitely. Uh, definitely puar is one of those. Uh, we have a very popular ginger and puar mixture that, ah, okay. that we recommend for digestion, for sure. Gotcha. So now, do you work with, um, with herbs as well? You know, we do. We do work with herbs. We have a few different herbal blends. I've done a lot of research on proven, uh, like herb, like herbs with proven scientific scientifically studied uh, like evidence behind them like chamomile uh, like caraway like ginger things like that and um, we do have a few different blends that we recommend for sleep or for digestion or things like that 
very cool throat uh, throat issues like buildup of mucus or or sore throat that type of thing. That's really interesting. And, you know, and along those lines, another thing that I was seeing is that what was it green tea or it might have been green tea that was saying that it has a very strong antiviral effect as well, which I was very I was surprised to see that. That was pretty cool. I think that's been a lot of the green tea evidence has been shown in vitro as opposed to in vivo. Okay. Um, that basically in in the laboratory in like a petri dish versus in a biological like a human or something like that. Um, but I don't I don't know how much has been studied in humans. Gotcha. There's a lot of that stuff that the, there's a lot of antioxidants in tea that that have a lot of evidence in in vitro but not in vivo. Gotcha. Okay. Well, actually, why don't you, can you explain a little bit about antioxidants and what they do? And, you know, cause there, there are a lot of antioxidants in tea. There are, there are. So antioxidants, there's a, that's a very general category of chemical. And in tea, a lot of them are called catechins. There's a few different catechins in tea. There's about four major ones. And the, the, but the, the most predominant one, the one that has the most evidence behind it, is called epigallocatechin gallate, or e- <laughs> EGCG for you know, to make it easier, um, and that has a lot of a lot of scientific evidence behind it, especially in vitro, as having anti-cancer properties, um, very strong antioxidant properties. It also has some in vivo uh, evidence where it can facilitate the pharmacokinetics of cancer drugs. That means that it helps cancer drugs do their work. Helps them be more effective. Exactly. It also is shown to increase the bioavailability of certain blood pressure medications. By itself, it doesn't, it doesn't do as much as in conjunction with other things. But it's so intriguing that, that scientists are studying it strongly to see how they can make it work with other things because it's a natural compound, because it's found in tea. Like, you can have a cup of tea and, and drink that and, and get some small benefits from it. Um, but un- unfortunately, it's more, I think it's more lipid-soluble than it is water-soluble, even though you do get some from tea. Ah, okay. So, but then, <clears throat> so then if you brew the tea with milk, you get more o- antioxidants out of it? Is that... You, it depends. So there's, there's, it's really, bioavailability is really complicated when it comes to antioxidants. Um, or when it comes to tea, the, or really in general, bioavailability is complicated. Your body has different ways of getting things from food. And one of those is the, the uh, bile pathway in your gut where your, I can't remember, liver or gallbladder, maybe you could help me with that, uh, sends bile to your gut and then... Your gallbladder. Your gallbladder. I believe it is. Right. And, and that extracts a lot of lipid-soluble compounds from your from your GI tract and can take them back uh, into your body. But the, when you extract tea, when you brew it with water, you don't get all those. You're basically in, infusing all of the water-soluble things in tea. You're not getting the lipid-soluble things. If you brew it with milk, you can get those. There's, there's milk fat in milk, especially whole milk, of course. There's also proteins in milk. I think casein proteins are the proteins in milk, and they can kind of surround and bind different things, water-soluble things or things that are partially water-soluble, partially lipid-soluble. And you can get those more. How much is then available to your body after they're bound with the milk? It's not studied very well, but it has 
been shown to increase it. That makes sense because it, <clears throat> um, I'm seeing it in you know with the in the weightlifting world with. Um, protein absorption with, you know, you can only, you know, people are trying to eat a ton of protein and there's only so much protein you can absorb at one sitting, yep. you know, and our bodies are only made to absorb a certain amount. And it's like, if you take in more than that, generally just kind of, you know, your body either tries to excrete it or tries to, you know, get, you know, or uh, stores it, <laughs> you know? So, um, hey, I think we need to take a break for a minute. Um, we're here with Nate Pantaloni from Dobra, Pittsburgh. Welcome back. It's uh, Pain-Free Life. I'm Dr. Josh Cohen. We're here with Nate Pantaloni from uh, Dobra T. Pittsburgh. And uh, you can reach him at www.dobratteapgh.com. So we're, uh, we were talking about different types of tea. So we're gonna continue that conversation right now. We are drinking, Nate was nice enough to give us some uh, yellow tea. So it's kind of curious as to what, what, what is yellow tea? So he's gonna, yeah. All right, so yellow tea is a pretty, it's a uniquely processed tea. It's only made in, in China right now. And the, from my understanding, the processing was a bit of a mistake in its discovery. And this was a very long time ago that uh, the, the, the legend goes, as I've heard it, is that a tea manufacturer was making tea, ha had an emergency, ha wasn't finished with, with his tea leaves, and threw a, a tarp over them or something to, to cover them after he had heated them in that first step of green tea processing. So the enzymes that oxidize it were denatured, but the leaves are still wet. And he threw a tarp over his whole big batch of tea and went away for a few days, came back, and finished the tea. But by that point, a very small amount of oxidation had occurred because the, teas, the tea leaves were still wet. And the water facilitated a little bit of natural oxidation from the air. And it changed the color from green to yellow because the chlorophyll had oxidized in the leaves. So there was no longer that green color that you get from the chlorophyll. But he loved the taste. And later, um, when he was making it and continuing to make the tea leaves that, that way, the emperor found out it was uh, his favorite tea as well and named it uh, like, an, like a uh, imperial tea. Those emperors at the time also went by yellow emperors, so it was a, a little bit of a coincidence. And so it's this type of yellow tea is both like an imperial yellow tea because it was a that's the emperor that was the emperor's color at the time, and it's also yellow tea because of the the color of the leaves because that late that slight late oxidation process. So would this be in between like a green tea and a black tea, or a green tea and a oolong tea? Yes. Yeah, so it would be I'd say between green and oolong. It's just past green tea and maybe not quite at oolong level it still has a lot of yellow color to it um, that oolongs can tend to have a, a yellow color but they can also be a little bit amber sometimes too depending gotcha. um so there were you were saying there were a couple other teas that we that you didn't have a chance to talk about if you'd like to mention those as well sure so yellow tea was one of those and it's just past green tea white tea is another one and white tea is is basically just dried in the shade usually or partial sun and that photo bleaches the the leaves it gives them their white color and because the buds are so young they don't have a lot of chlorophyll anyway it's usually just buds in white tea not any big leaves 
And so you see in types of white tea, they're called silver a lot of the times, or white, or they're referred to uh, as different flower colors, like peony or things like that. Um, and it, it is, there are slightly oxidized because they're not heated ever, but they, uh, they're more of a, I'd say a naturally processed tea, just basically dried in the shade. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and so um, what is matcha? You know, I've read a little bit about that. How does that fit in with all the types of teas? That's a good question. Matcha is a type of green tea from Japan. They take a tencha, uh, which is a, a type of Japanese leaf, and they grind it very finely with stone, usually stone grinders, something like granite. That is then prepared in a bowl usually a small amount, maybe about the size of two almonds or about a teaspoon or so in a bowl is whisked with hot water. So you actually, when you consume that, you're consuming the powdered leaf that's been then reinfused with water. You hear a lot of people, <laughs> Dr. Oz or whoever these days talk about the health benefits of matcha, especially, uh, or even a few years ago. It is, probably a healthier tea than most others, not only because it's green tea, it has a lot of those antioxidants, but because you're also consuming the whole leaf. It's not just an infusion. You're actually drinking the powdered leaf. Ideally, you're getting more antioxidants, more benefits, more positive benefits, more things like that. Right, exactly, exactly. And it, it's because it's powdered, it's also really available to your body. It's not it's not like eating a salad. It's, you know, it would be like eating powdered spinach or something like that. And gotcha. your body would be able to handle it a lot it can better. absorb it a lot better. Right, exactly. Like we're yeah. bioavailability. Right. But it's, because of that, it's also, you need to take it very carefully because it's high in caffeine, like a lot of teas are. All that caffeine's available too. If you have it on an empty stomach, like your grandfather was talking about <laughs> coffee, it can wreck your stomach. Um, it can cause nausea or vomiting. Well, I would I would assume as well if there's you know if it's there leaves there's a lot of fiber in there so it could <laughs> affect people uh, make them go to the bathroom or things like that as well. I don't know how much the fiber affects because of how small you usually dose the matcha. Okay. But yeah, there there could be you are. Yeah, but and also along those lines, you know, you mentioned Dr. Oz, and you know, I, I like Dr. Oz, but I don't like how certain things are put out to the public, you know, saying, hey, this is a magic bullet. This will take care of everything. And there is no magic bullet. Right. There really isn't one. And what we're talking about with tea, this is something that'll help with, help, help a, it's a supplement to health, you know, to help keep you feeling healthy. Like you're saying, it'll help other medications and other things be more effective, you know, but yes. there's no magic bullet, you know? Exactly. And that's, I think, a really important takeaway for, for everyone, if you're listening to this, the most important thing to take away is tea. There's been a lot of evidence to show that tea is healthy or tea is part of a healthy lifestyle, mm -hmm. but it's not a magic bullet, like you said. It's really, it works well in conjunction with other things, but it's not going to cure your cancer. It's not going to. So that, that makes a lot of sense. And I look at vitamins like that because you get a lot of people that will say, oh, if I take a vitamin, I don't have to eat healthy. It's like, no, this is meant to be, it's a diet designed as a supplement to a healthy lifestyle. So it's yes. supposed to supplement it, help, it's supposed to help you be healthier, you know, but you still need to watch what you eat, exercise, you know, stuff like that, you know, and it's, it, it, this will fit in very well with it, but doesn't replace healthy eating. You know, if you have green tea along with like a big bucket of fried chicken, it's, <laughs> it's still not going to, you know, fried chicken's still going to affect 
Becky a lot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so now, you know, a couple other things that you know we were talking about. You were saying that um, you know that scientists are studying tea a lot more now and trying to figure out the positive benefits, the bioavailability. You know, um, one of the things that you said that I thought was very interesting is that they're talking about altering antioxidants. You know, can yes. you elaborate a little bit on that? Sure. So. The, in, I'd say in the last 10 years, there's been a lot of focused research on tea and particularly those antioxidants in green tea that we mentioned earlier. EGCG has been the one that's been mainly focused on because of it has the most benefits demonstrated in, in vitro. And there, there's been some work on making it more bioavailable to your body. Um, your body has a lot of trouble absorbing it. I, the different antioxidants have different rates of absorption. That makes sense. They're anywhere from 0.1%, which is nothing, to 31%. And so it's all over the place. It depends on what your diet is with the tea. It depends on your own gut bacteria. So and let's just touch on that for one second, because I so agree with that. If you have a very unhealthy diet, your gut's going to be inflamed. You're not going to be absorbing all these antioxidants or all the positive nutrients that you need. And actually, you can even be nutrient deficient because you're not absorbing enough. You know, right. so, so I just wanted to interject that. Right. It's, very, it's a very complicated subject because there's a lot of factors that go into how your body absorbs things. Sure. And it's not, there's not one magic bullet. There's a it's like an orchestra of things that you need to And one person's going to absorb it a little differently than the next person, then the next person, exactly. then the next person, you know? Exactly. Exactly. There's a genetic type to it as well. Um, a lot of factors. And so they're studying how to make it more bioavailable for everybody. One of the things they're doing is peracetylating the EGCG, which means they're reacting it with acetic acid. And that makes it more water-soluble, and it makes it more available to your body. And there's been some evidence shown that this peracetylated EGCG is really, really strongly helpful in conjunction with certain types of cancer drugs. The last thing I heard was that it might be useful with a breast cancer medication. It also might help with uh, making a certain blood cancer, or excuse me, blood pressure medication more bioavailable. There's a lot of really intriguing and hopeful evidence out there about these T antioxidants. That makes sense, you know, but you know, along the lines with what we're talking about with bioavailability, you take a cup of good green tea or yellow tea or black tea, throw a whole bunch of sugar in it, it's going to affect the bioavailability of it. Definitely. You know, and I think one of the good things about tea is that it's not sweet. It's very, you know, it is mild. It's not this huge, like, punch in the face, yep. you know, and it's, it's easier on your body. Um, you know, I, just, I feel better after I drink a cup of tea, you know. Me too. I do too. I think if, if anybody wants to make tea a little bit more bioavailable, there's been some evidence that vitamin C can really increase the, oh, the bioavailability cool. of tea. Okay. So something like citrus, say lemon, might be a nice thing to add with tea to help with absorption. And along those lines, it was really fascinating. I was reading that Chinese seamen in the 15, you know, Chinese uh, people who work on ships, they were, they were given green tea to help prevent scurvy. You know, back yeah. in the 1500s. I thought that was pretty interesting. There, there is actually a little bit of vitamin C in tea, but it's not, say, as much as limes or other things like that, sure. right? Okay. But, yeah. but yeah, there is there is a little bit of vitamin C in tea as well. That's so. still pretty cool. Especially green tea, of course. So, have you traveled around and, like, gone to different tea places? And, you know, like, how, you know, how did you kind of experiment with tea and find the right brand, you know, or not brands, but I guess, like, types that you like? 
so I have I have traveled a lot, um, not just to Asia, but to Africa and other places. Oh, cool! And one of the things that we really focus on is now, especially trying to find tea directly from farmers, but also tea that is has very little pesticides. There's a lot of pesticides used in the tea industry. And the United, the United States is very bad at regulating the amount of pesticides used on tea leaves compared to, say, the European Union. They have very strict regulations in the European Union. We follow those at a minimum. We don't want our customers to drink tea covered in pesticides. Yeah. So we, at a minimum, follow those European Union standards. And then a lot of our teas now are, are certified organic. And they're certified organic all over the world, not just in the United States, but they would be that that certification would be mirrored in Japan by the, the Japanese Association or in Europe by the EU certified organic. So it's we really care a lot about getting people a high quality tea that's also not gonna be covered in pesticides. That makes sense. You know, I read a lot about that just in the agriculture industry, you know, Roundup, things like that. You know, even trace amounts of Roundup can affect us in very negative ways. And there, it's not surprising here that the U.S. isn't very good at monitoring that because they use so much, we use so much, so many pesticides here, you know? Right, exactly. And from what I've, from what I've read, you know, tea is much more, it's taken much more seriously in Europe and in Asia you know, than, than what it is here. You know, coffee's taken very seriously here, but, you know, it's like, I, I don't think tea gets the respect that coffee does or tea gets the respect that it should. <laughs> Let's put it that way. That's, that is interesting. And, it, and it's funny how that, I don't know exactly how that happened, but back in the 1700s, of course, we drank a lot of tea. You hear about the Boston Tea Party. Yeah. And the British drank a lot of tea, but I don't know when maybe a historian, you could have a historian on here sometime <laughs> talk about that, but the when did that change in America? When did we go from coffee or when did we go from tea to coffee? Was it, was it the culture of moving out West? Was it the cowboys or, you know, you always read about cowboy coffee and, you know, stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Maybe coffee was a little easier to make on the trail than, than tea. Who knows? Yeah. You know, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting to see that, you know, and how, how, you know, the differences between the two. Um, let me see. So, um, you know, did you, was there a lot, did, how did you find tea in Africa? Like, you know, for, like, was there, was that a point of going to Africa? So that wasn't the point of going to Africa. I, I went a few times once with my father because he was volunteering his, his time as a physician at a hospital. Oh, nice. uh, another time I went to, to visit him again in South Africa that time. And it was a secondary point of my trip to, to learn more about rooibos when I was there, learn more about the rooibos tisane, the rooibos herbal tea. Unfortunately, uh, there's only one very small area in South Africa where it was grown, and I was not there when I was there. So I was not able to learn about rooibos. Most South Africans actually don't drink it. Okay. It's exported mostly to Germany. Oh, that's interesting. So I, they were like, you should go to Germany. and ask <laughs> <laughs> Why Germany? I don't know. I guess the Germans really love rooibos. Funny. That's, and yeah. What exactly is rooibos? So rooibos is a, is a plant native to South Africa, if, if I remember correctly. It's a small bush with sort of needle-like leaves, and those leaves are oxidized and... In a, in a way similar to black tea, and you get that red rooibos. There is actually green rooibos that's unoxidized. It's treated more like green tea. But the red rooibos is the most popular, and it has that almost black tea flavor. But different, but yeah, it has that rich flavor to it as well. Gotcha. It has very different compounds in it than tea. I'm told it has a lot of antioxidants as well. I don't know that much about them. But 
it's, it has no caffeine too. So if you want to drink something without caffeine, rooibos is pretty great for that. That's which is pretty nice to have something at night that you can drink without any caffeine to help yep. you go to sleep. Definitely. And uh, where did you go? Where did you go in um, in Asia? You know, did you was that more for going to tea houses or? Yes. Yeah. All my travels in Asia so far have been for tea. So I've been to Sri Lanka. And I've been to the Republic of China, Taiwan, uh, to learn about tea there. I learned about oolong tea, green tea, and black tea. Go. Really cool. I, I was in China once and I was amazed at all the different types of teas that they had, how specialized it got, how expensive it would get. I mean, it, you know, I, we went to one tea house and sat and had, you know, traditional tea. It was a really cool experience. Yeah, the Chinese traditional tea is, is very cool, um, very romantic, too, yeah. in a lot of ways. You have to be very careful in China. If you don't know about tea, there's a, a lot of different people that'll, that'll take advantage of your ignorance. Sure. So it's it's you have to be careful and i would be very careful about spending a lot of money on tea as well too there's there you can find in my experience you can find a lot of really high quality teas for a reasonable price in china or wherever sri lanka that makes sense it's kind of like wine where it's like you know if you know a little bit about what you're doing you can find very good wine for you know 10 or 20 dollars right you know that that makes sense so um and i mean you know what types of what types of teas did you try there did you bring any back with you or Oh, we brought, yeah, each trip we brought tons back. We actually just got back from Sri Lanka about a month ago, and we brought back probably a dozen or more different black teas from there, from different regions, different grades. Sri Lankan tea is very much about the grade of the tea, like the size of the leaf when they're done drying it, and whether it's from the bud or from like a lower leaf on the stalk when they pluck it. Um, but it's mostly all black tea in Sri Lanka. They make a very small amount of green tea, they make a very small amount of white tea, but it's primarily black tea. Does that taste different than the black tea you get from China? Oh, definitely, yeah. There is a terroir to, to tea, so there, you get very different flavors. Ceylon tea has a, has a likeness to a lot of breakfast teas, if people are familiar with those. It has a very classic taste to it. I don't, I don't really know how to describe that taste. Sometimes it can be a little bit citrusy, by itself without adding lemon or, or whatever. Um, and it, it's usually not very bitter, which is nice, especially if you want to make a strong cup of breakfast tea or something. You might not have to add a lot of sugar or milk to it. Although in Sri Lanka, they do. They will, they will add a lot of sugar or milk to it. So. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I mean, actually, it sounds like it was probably a fun trip to, you know, fun to do some research like that, you know? Yeah, it was. It was. We, we traveled all over the place. One of the, one of the most fun things there was we went to two different parts of the rainforest and we met with two producers there who we'll be working with in the future that are trying to do forest friendly tea in Sri Lanka. And pretty much everybody out, outside of these two producers we met with doesn't care at all. And they are about the big tea industry, the big lots of pesticides, that type of stuff. And these guys that we met are, they want to go organic. They want to go forest friendly. They want to do like farm to table type stuff. And so we're, that's what we're about too. Like we want we want to bring low pesticide teas to our customers. We want to we want to go forest friendly because deforestation has huge implications cool. yeah. not only in the future but like for for the the land right now. So both of us have kids and you know we want to make sure that we leave the world in a decent place for a different decent position for them, you know. Exactly. 
Yeah, that's, I've been reading a lot about how, you know, it's in Sri Lanka, Thailand, places like that, that a lot of the forests are being taken away for, you know, like farming, for, you know, just different things like that. And, right. you know, I kind of, I, always, I feel the same way that you can't, you do. If you can, you know, harvest it without harming anything, that's, that's the way to go. You know, that's, and I would assume that you kind of have to go and travel there to find people to do that. You know, all right, we're going to take another break here. I'm here with Nate Pantaloni from Dobra Tea in Pittsburgh. We'll talk to you. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Pain-Free Day. I'm Dr. Joshua Cohen. I'm here with Nate Pantaloni from Dobra Tea Pittsburgh. <clears throat> and we're gonna we're talking about tea. So let's get back into it. Nate, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is if somebody's interested in getting into tea and starting to drink tea, where's a good place for them to start? How do they start? What do they look for? That's a great question. And my follow-up question is that would to to the customer or whoever's interested in getting into tea. What's your experience? You know, think about your experience with tea. Did you start with Lipton iced tea? What do you like? Do you like black tea? Do you like green tea? And maybe go from there, step off from there. Or if you're a coffee drinker, there's another way, there's another way we'll come back to toward the end. So if you like green tea and you want to explore green teas, there's lots of different green teas out there. Um, my personal experience with green tea was only Chinese. So when I tried Japanese green teas, they blew my mind. I never had tea like that before. They're so different from Chinese green teas because they're steamed. So that might be an intriguing and interesting thing to try out. If you like black tea and you've only had, say, Lipton or a tea bag like English breakfast, there's lots of really interesting teas like Darjeeling out of India that are more mild on the black tea and more fruity because of because they're a different leaf they're grown in a different climate they're grown really high elevation and they don't really need milk or sugar as well because they don't have the strong flavor like breakfast teas can with is so, earl gray would earl gray be like that earl gray is usually a large leaf but it's mixed with bergamot extract or oil and that gives it that sort of zesty citrus flavor okay. right from the bergamot orange so it just depends on, you, that's a great one to get into if you like Earl Grey. Um, I started kind of with Earl Grey as well. Great with milk and sugar too if you like that. But um, yeah, that's, a, that's more on the aromatized side, black tea side. That's what I, I started with Earl Grey. My father yeah. used to drink Earl Grey. He would have that in the morning, have coffee in the afternoon. And, you know, so I started drinking tea, drinking Earl Grey. And, and you know, it was good, but it's like there's so many other kinds out there. You know, once I started yeah. trying different kinds, I was like, wow, this is, you know, Earl Grey's good, but there's a whole lot else out there. If you like Earl Grey, there's, there's lots of other aromatized teas. They, in China, they make teas with plum or lychee or vanilla. There's, um, there's tea that's smoked as well, like uh, Lapsang Souchong that has like a really smoky taste. It can be like drinking a campfire. So if you like smoky things, if you like barbecue, that can be a great one to get into. Um, it just really depends. And if you've never tried oolong tea, I, I would suggest giving that a try. Oolong has such a large spectrum of flavors and it can. there's some that are closer to black tea and some that are closer to green tea because of that spectrum that it's a really interesting thing to branch off into. And, and oolongs are a great place to start because there's, only, there's really only high-quality oolongs out there. There's not a lot of low-quality oolongs out on the market right now. It's mostly black tea or green tea. Because oolongs are the, really only processed in like two different places in the world, in Fujian, China, and in Taiwan. Um, and they, they have very long tea culture and tradition, and they stick to that. They don't, they don't really do many other types of tea. 
But if you're a coffee drinker and you want to get into tea, like my dad, uh, who's still just a coffee drinker, um, things like chai or strong black teas like that are really great. My dad drinks only black coffee. And <laughs> when he comes in to visit, he, he always forgets what he's had. And he, he always picks the same thing again when he comes in. <laughs> that's, is, really, he's a, that's really funny. Which is our masala chai. And it's a, a really strong Indian black tea, Assam. It's brewed with milk and sugar and a, a lot of spices, like ginger, cinnamon, fennel, clove, orange peel. And we brew it with the milk, so you get a, a different extraction than brewing it with just water. Um, but he loves that. It's, it's got a really strong, intense flavor. The spices add a lot of, of overtones to it as well, a lot of complexity to it. Um, things like chai could be a great way to start, too. We, get, we have a lot of customers that start with chai, and then they, they branch off from there. Some just stick with chai too, so it's, you know, but like real, real traditional Indian chai is a great way to get into tea. And I would suggest though, reducing the amount of sugar you put in there for sure. Gotcha. You can make chai with alternate milks too. If you don't want dairy, you, it's great with oat milk. It's great with soy milk. Um, I would stay away from almond and coconut. They can give the tea an extra bitter flavor, Okay. but, but the, yeah, soy and, and oat milk work pretty well, pretty well. Do you do, do you sew, or, or have you um, worked with Herba, was it Herba Mate, Yerba Mate? Yeah, Herba Mate. Um, we, we serve a lot of that. We actually serve it traditionally in a gourd, but you can make it lots of other ways. Um, the traditional way is to fill up a gourd almost halfway or a third of the way full with the leaves, and you can brew it with either cold water, hot water, whatever. It's actually a type of holly. It's not, it's not a tea, but it does have caffeine. It naturally has caffeine. There's two or three types of holly that naturally have caffeine. Uh, another one closely related, related to yerba mate is guayusa, which is an, another interesting one to drink. Yerba mate, yerba mate is pretty bitter, pretty medicinal tasting. That's, I've tried it. I have a buddy that went to, he went to South America and brought it back. He's like, here, you have to try this. He's like, once you get used to it, it's great. And yeah. I drank it a couple times. I'm like, ah, I just can't get used to it. Yeah, that, that medicinal taste is really, really difficult for a lot of people to get used to. But if you... If you want something that's not true tea and you want something that's like mate, guayusa is another great way to get into it. It's not, it doesn't have the bitterness and the medicinal taste that mate has. I would say it's more of like a grassy, like green banana overtones and sometimes a little bit of chocolate, like a, like a mildly roasted chocolate. So it's, it's a really, mate and guayusa are really weird and interesting. That sounds like it. It's um, a little bit of a different subject, but I'm just kind of curious, you know, you have children. I have children as well. Um, mine are a little older than yours. Um, but, you know, throughout the years, I've given them some tea that has been, you know, like <clears throat> non-caffeinated or green tea or different things like that. Do you think that's okay? How young is it for, you know, is it okay for kids to drink it when they're younger? You know, obviously you don't want to give it to a very young child, you know, or a toddler or an infant, but right. I was just kind of curious about that. So I've read a little bit about this. I'm not an expert on it by any means, but I, I know there's evidence that giving children caffeine is not good for their for their brain <laughs> brain development, um, and right. and there's other herbs that are also not recommended for children. So I would I would definitely be careful with that. And if you want to give if you want to give herbs to your children, I'd give them only small amounts and not large amounts because their bodies are small; they handle things differently. Um, I have read a little bit about chamomile and children, and that, that that can help them with relaxation and sleep. But again, it's a lot, right? It's like chamomile is kind of intense for children, um, but but dill is was often prescribed for um, I think it was colic or like oh, really? teething and and okay. dill is supposed to be an, an interesting herb to help children as well. 
uh, like pickles, like giving children pickles to chew on. Was, you know, dill pickles specifically was a, was a way. That's really interesting. Yeah. That makes sense. I was also reading as well that mint tea is very good for digestion. And, you know, I want to say they even said for headaches it helps out. But I'm not positive about that. Mint, mint would be a great one for children. There's a lot of herbs like that that are generally recognized as safe. And those would be great to, to try for children. Something like rooibos could be great, like we were talking about earlier. Something low in ca or no caffeine in case of rooibos. But, but rooibos has antioxidants in it. Mint, ginger has a lot of, of uh, is, is used in a lot of cuisine. I think ginger would be safe. Maybe turmeric, that type of thing, yeah. That makes sense. You know, I, I've always felt more like I wouldn't give my kids any coffee. Just uh, yeah. I don't agree with that. But it's like right. the tea and especially low caffeine or no caffeine tea, you know, it's like it's a nice alternative for the kids and they can drink it. They can feel like an adult, you know, and it's like, you know, I, I really like that. You know, it's like we'll be traveling somewhere and the kids, you know, my wife and I want to stop and get a cup of coffee or, you know, or whatever. And the kids want something as well. We're like, oh, you can have this, this will, you know, some tea, It'll, you know, it's something a little different than water. And, you know, but, it, you know, it's like it doesn't have the caffeine in it. And anybody that has kids, you know, you don't want to give your kids caffeine. <laughs> you know, it's like I've had this argument with my kids over and over again where I'm like, you know, it's like they want to have a Pepsi at, you know, eight o'clock at night. I'm like, no, you know, and yeah. I mean, I make sodas as a treat for them. They really can't have it all the time, you know, but it's like certainly at night, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, and all that sugar too is, will, will crush you. And the nice thing if you make your own tea is you can adjust the amount of sugar you put in there or no sugar even. Um, Actually, another another herb that came to mind while we were talking about sugar is hibiscus is great as well. I've heard of that. I don't know much about it. Hibiscus has a tart, naturally tart, naturally sweet flavor, and children love it in my experience. And it has a brilliant. It can have a brilliant color. There's some hibiscus that's purple, some that has a, a red color or orange. Some are in between, and so they end up with this brilliant ruby color. Um, and of course, children love visual things, and 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 so you know the it's bright red tea is really eye-catching and, and enticing sure. enticing for them and because it's naturally sweet a little bit tart it kind of hits that like sweet they're looking for that sweet spot they're looking for and and um could be a great alternative to pepsi for instance so that's great that's you know along those lines you know i know that um you know kombucha it's you know fermented tea and you know like i kind of find that that's a nice alternative to sip on throughout the day you know as opposed to like a soda or something like that have, have you have you done any work with kombucha have you you know kombucha has been on my list to experiment with for a long time i used to brew my own beer a lot so that was oh, along the same lines right exactly yeah. <laughs> um but the that there is a little added sugar in kombucha. You have to add it for the, the yeast and things to, yep. for the mother to, to grow. But it is definitely a great alternative because you can, if you make it yourself or you buy it, it's going to have less sugar than soda or something. And it has that nice carbonation. It has a little bit of acetic acid in it. So it has that z zest, that zing to it. And I was brewing it for a little bit. I, I drink it almost every day. It's just I ran out of time to brew it. You know, but one of the things that, was fa that I found fascinating is in the history of it, they say that people were brewing it for li literally hundreds of years because it's a, it was a way to kind of clean water, you know, so that you can drink yeah. water. With, and that same thing with low alcohol beer, I was reading as well. They ferment it and, you know, and brew beer so that the water would be safe to drink. Definitely. And that's, that's one of the interesting parts of the history of tea and other cultures, not just beer, but when you would make tea a long time ago you'd heat the water because it gave you a better infusion of the leaves you're inadvertently pasteurizing the water that's funny. at the that same time sense. and so whether they knew it or not they were making the water healthy to consume and and um one actually the one of the oldest stories about 
tea brewing tradition and culture was that they would make soup out of the tea. We were talking about Puar earlier. One of the older histories or, or kind of legends of Puar was that it was used in making soup with like onions and other things, um, probably green onions if we're talking Chinese cuisine, that, that um, they'd break a chunk off of like this compacted tea and make it into soup. And the reason they compacted it when they made it and this led to that fermentation in Puar was because it was easier to sell and transport on pack animals. Gotcha. And when the tea sat on the pack animals, it would get sweat from them. It would get natural yeast in their fur, and it would that would aid the fermentation. And so that's, pretty cool. that's, that's part of one of the reasons why it's fermented. But then when you break it up, and you, you have to boil it in water to get it to break up again, to get it to dissolve. Or, so it, it, it was kind of part of the naturally, naturally fed from that tradition and the way that that's a really cool process so that you know and, and it makes sense too in that you know with making soup you're, you're going to use a type of stock usually for the most part to yeah. flavor it a little bit you know and so instead of that you can use tea which ideally will have like you know if we were to do it now chances are it would have less sodium in it less nitrites you know and be healthier for you definitely yeah, um, that's pretty cool. So now, um, do you, how do you take? Well, let me ask you this: How much tea do you drink a day? I I tend to drink a lot. If I'm in the tea room, I drink probably more than I should, uh, and I've been trying to cut back a little bit just so I can have a few days without caffeine, so that I can sleep a little better at night. That makes sense. I've been reading more, but more about that. About like you know, every once in a while, taking like a week off from caffeine, from all that stuff, to just just to let you. They call me your neurotransmitters. Let your neurotransmitters calm down. Let your neuro, you know, neurological system calm down a little bit. I, I think it's related to ATP sensitivity or or something. You know, something like that's that. producing energy and yeah. yeah, you know. But then also, I even look at it as like you know, stress in the body and oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and a tea. Tea has, especially green tea, has a lot of anti-anxiety properties to it, but but it, it caffeine also increases anxiety. So you so <laughs> right. you have this kind of double-edged sword there with with you know, are you drinking tea to calm down or or to wake up? And you know it has both of those properties. So gotcha. Yeah, that, that makes sense. You know, um, you know, and I think for most people, it's like it'd be accurate to drink, you know, one or two cups of, of you know, caffeinated tea a day. You know, probably they probably wouldn't want to drink a whole lot more than that unless they got used to it first. Right. I would say probably no more than six. Usually when you prepare tea, you use less, say by weight, leaves than you would use grounds for coffee. So when people prepare coffee, it tends to be stronger, more caffeinated because there's more weight. Oh, in, okay. in the in the grounds with tea leaves you tend to use less less weight less caffeine um, but if you make strong tea you know it might you might get more caffeine out of there so I'd say maybe six cups of tea per day would be like a, a good upper limit um, but it, it depends on your caffeine tolerance and other things like that how strong you're preparing your tea that type of thing so no, what would have more caffeine between a cup of coffee and a cup of tea you know prepared the same way or I'm, I'm almost certain it would be coffee like because you tend to use more grounds by weight um, I don't know which has more natural content by weight. If you were to take the dry leaves and the dry grounds, um, I'm sure it'd be kind of close. But definitely, you can get a lot of caffeine out of tea depending on how you make it. That's yeah. Depending on there's different varieties of tea and that have different levels of caffeine. Tea has a huge amount of genetic variety in its in the species, and so you have some tea that's very low in caffeine naturally, and some that's also very high in caffeine naturally. And it really depends on on which tea you're drinking. 
that's as far along those lines. I, uh, I teach in upstate New York, so it's about a five-hour drive. And in the past, I would make myself a big thermos of uh, black tea. And I found that it's like if I drank the whole thing by the end of the drive, I was kind of jittery and yeah. I'd have trouble falling asleep afterwards. Yeah. So I was like, ah, oh, that might be a little too much. Let me try like some green tea for it or something. Yes, yeah, yeah. so it's nice to have something to sip on besides water, you Definitely. know? So now, uh, do you do you watch what you eat? Do you take care of yourself? You know, along along the lines of like you know you know drinking tea and you know being healthy. Do you know do you do you take care of yourself? Do you watch what you eat? You know, I do, I do. I I have a um, problem with binge eating that I've I grew up having uh, living in a house with mostly snacks and and that type of stuff. And so I I try to work. I tried. I've been trying to work on that for more than ten years now, and uh, I try to eat healthy like i like i like to make myself a lot of stir fry or things like that um it's easy to mix in a lot of vegetables with rice with a little bit of protein you know yeah. and it's easy to make a lot of for me and have leftovers and that way i don't have to worry about preparing something really nice every night i can make a whole bunch and then portion it out meal prep for the week or whatever that makes sense and um i do try to drink tea not every day now, like I said, I, I take about three days a week off from caffeine, but I drink tea the other four days. I, I like to drink a lot of green tea and right now a lot of black tea because of our trip to Sri Lanka. <laughs> <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. Still, still fresh in your mind. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, the tea there is great. The, the black tea there is excellent. So. That's awesome. That's, now, has, uh, has traveling to Asia influenced how you cook you know, or how you eat at all? A little bit. Um, I'm still not an expert on curry or, or that style, <laughs> that style of food preparation in India. It's really complicated. There's so many layers to the spices and things like that. But when I was in Taiwan, I, the Asian cooking kind of clicked having like tasted all these different foods. Every meal is, every meal we had there was 13 dishes or more, <laughs> you know, big, big round table, lazy Susan, and you're eating all this fresh fish and fresh vegetables. And, and I mean, it was a culinary experience aside from the tea experience. So, um, but that, that style of cooking clicked with me while I was there and, and I've learned better how to prepare those cuisines since going there. So I, That's yeah, awesome. I, I feel like I'm getting a handle on cooking Chinese right now. <laughs> That's pretty nice. Yeah. It's, it's hard to do. I, I love cooking. I do a lot of work with, I yeah. do a lot, I do a lot of cooking. I always think we're better off if we can cook a little bit, you know, we're going to be able to eat healthier. It's going to be less expensive, you know, and it's kind of cool to travel these different places and get these different influences, you know? And it's, I mean, like I said, when I traveled to China, it's like, I was so influenced by the tea culture there. It was, it was really cool. And, you know, but then also even just the little snacks that you had, they were a little different than oh, yeah. what you associate with, you know, like coffee shops, you know, it's like coffee shops you associate with just pastry and things like that maybe there's a sandwich but it's like in the tea the tea houses it's like there are these you know very small um, very tasty little you know, almost like appetizer type things right exactly and there's places where you might get maybe not a full meal but like a steamed bun in China that has a little vegetable mixture in there and it's it's a steamed dough or sometimes they have meat ones and I mean the yeah it, the culinary traditions are the traditions in China, not just tea, but but for food in India as well are are extraordinary and so deep, so so detailed. Yeah, it's been going on for so long, so long. And especially in China, they also care about textures a lot to mouthfeel of things. You, you notice that in teas, not as much, but they like chewy a lot there, um, which for Westerners can be really 
strange. Yeah, a little offsetting, yeah. I would think, if you're drinking something and it's it's chewy. Well, That's not necessarily drinking, but like eating, you know, say like tendons or like or like oh. squid or yeah, yeah, <laughs> like you know that type of thing. That's it can be strange to not be used to that. Sure. Yeah. Different. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think we're coming to the end of our conversation with Nate Pantaloni from Dobra Tea. Um, if you know, please check him out at www.dobrateapitspgh.com. Um, this is a great place. You know, um, yeah, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I appreciate it. Hopefully, you've all learned something. And thank you for uh, your time, Nate. Thank you, Josh. Have a pain-free day. Thank you for listening to Pain-Free Day. Make sure you join Joshua Cohen for another program next Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Now, go enjoy your pain-free day.